importance of the, of the study itself, point out that in our society right now, we all recognize that our society is becoming more and more pagan, more and more anti-Christian. All you have to do is compare the TV programs today to the TV programs 20 years ago. The movies today with the movies 20 years ago. What we will accept today with what we will accept 20 years ago. At the turn of the century, one divorce out of 16 marriages. Now, more than 50%. Uh, homosexuality, totally unacceptable 20 years ago. Today, very acceptable. Um, we, we see it in uh, the, the change in, our, in crime, in the, the sexuality of our young people, and all that. There is, there is uh, not the strong belief that there was in God or, or anything of that nature. But yet the interesting thing is, as a church, and, and I'm, saying, I'm using Christianity speaking up in a general sense, we actually have more Christians than we had 20 years ago. We have more churches. We have more money. We have a more educated ministry. Our ministers are more apt to have gone through college and everything like that. But yet we're not, we're not reaching people like we did. And we're not affecting this society the way we did uh, some years ago. And the meetings tell them to think of their own experiences that they used to have meetings and 25 or 30 people be baptized in a week you know that and this was true of all your fundamentalist groups just on a regular basis because the meetings and convert people this is not happening uh in anymore in the way that it did then well then the question is why why that are, are is are we becoming more pagan and everything and say what is happening our society, as a result of becoming more educated, 90% of our people get their education through college and all in the public institutions, that for some years now, organic evolution has been propagated, and the Genesis account has been put forth as a myth. And our young people, as they go, to the high, go on to higher learning, are bombarded in many ways with information that would cast doubt on the inspiration of the Bible. As a result, a big percentage of our young people that go through state colleges leave the church never to return again because their, their mind is full of so much doubt and all. All right, so what is happening is that um, all the time this is going on and the, the doubt has been increasing and all, we're still trying to reach people in the same way we did 30 or 40 years ago when the biggest percent believed the Bible. So we hold meetings. And, and we talk to people, and we says the Bible says this, and the Bible says that. But the problem is, the person you're talking to doesn't believe the Bible is inspired. And say, now that's okay if you're talking to somebody that's been brought up and believes the Bible. But if you're talking to somebody that doesn't, that doesn't mean anything to you. In fact, uh, it, what makes it even uh, worse is that a lot of Christians that have been brought up believing the Bible because everybody else around believed it, they never challenged it, and the only reason they give, can give for believing it is they just believe it, you know, and that's it. All right, that, that is one reason, maybe one of the biggest, why we're not reaching the unbeliever out there. Now, let's go back and look at the first century when Christianity had its birth. Everybody was an unbeliever. The Jews thought they had killed Jesus and was done with him. 
And the whole pagan world was in idolatry. Well then, how did Christianity overcome the pagan world in, in a, and preach the gospel to the entire civilized world in one generation and eat up the Roman Empire by the time of the 4th century? How did that happen? Well, when we look at the way they presented the message, they didn't go out assuming people believed the resurrection of Christ. They went out knowing they were going to have to prove it. And so, all through the book of Acts, in the history of the church, the Christianity, we find, stands or falls on the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And every single lesson was one of presenting the resurrection. And so, unlike today, where you invite somebody to come to service, but they did not do that. They, they approached it strictly from the standpoint of evidence itself. And, for example, in 1 Peter 3 and 15, when Peter said to sanctify the Lord in your hearts and be ready to give an answer to everyone that asks you of the hope that lies within you with meekness and fear, that word answer comes from the Greek word apologius, and we take our Christian apologetics from that word. The literal meaning means to be able to give an oral defense for what you believe. All right, People, Peter was writing that to Christians who were being persecuted in a pagan environment for their belief. And he's telling them, you need to set the Lord apart and you need to be able to give a defense. Just like Paul, a number of times in his writings, spoke that he was set for the defense of the gospel. And so he wanted Christians to be able to present the evidence for the resurrection. Your hope is based on the resurrection of Jesus. And he wanted you to be able to present the evidence for it. All right, we today, if we're going to reach people in this environment, are going to have to, to stop assuming that they already believe the things that we believe. That some of us have been brought up in families where we were taught the Bible, and, and although we have never thought about evidences in a sophisticated way, see, so you want to make it clear to them that their belief is founded on evidence where it is or not, whether they understand it or not. For example, you could say... If you had parents who lived in the way that is taught here, when you were comparing their life to the lives of others that didn't and saying, hey, this looks a lot better, that was a form of evidence. Whenever you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and there was intuitive identification with it, in other words, you just found your inner soul agreeing with that, that was a form of evidence. Just the inner identification itself. And so... When you read the personality of Jesus and saw what your mind thought was a perfect man, that was a form of evidence. And so all of this is your faith, although you may not have called it evidence, is based on evidence. And it says, then you read about Matthew saying, this happened to fulfill what the prophet said, etc., you know. And that was evidence. So really, and so you want to, in order, in order to get them to, to want to study this further the right way, you don't want to put them in a situation where where they think that you're saying they don't believe because they haven't studied evidences like you have. What you want to show them is really, although they never called it evidences, their faith is based on evidence, but their environment was conducive to it, and they didn't have a lot of doubts put in their mind, and so they could take those positive evidences and go. But say, now listen, let's say that you were not brought up in a Christian family, and uh, you've gone through the university out here, and you've read some material. And so somebody says, hey, I'm going to give you some evidence as to why, about Jesus. And so they say that, 
Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecies in the Old Testament, in Isaiah, etc. And then this person says to you, how do you know that that was written before the events take place? And how do you know that they've been accurately transmitted down through the years and haven't been tampered with? And say, do you realize, so stop and think about that. Do you realize that one of the great evidences that the Bible gives for the deity of Jesus is his fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies? But if you'll think about it, that is not an evidence unless you can prove. And say, now, in our environment, we have no reason to challenge that because we were already attracted to the moral principles and the goodness of the life and so many other features, the agreement of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and all. And so there was no reason to think, well, it's not being honest with us here too. But to this person who does not have that emotional attachment, then that's a very valid thing. And not only that, he may be a person that has that emotional attachment, but he went to college as a believer. And this happens, by the way. He, and, 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 and in studying the books of the Bible, uh, a professor with a doctor's degree said, well, that material wasn't prophecy. It was written as history. And then a redactor got hold of it and made it appear as prophecy. So as a result of what he's been told, that prophecy doesn't mean the same to him as it does to you because of information he has in his mind. All right? Then you give him another evidence and you say that... Uh, Paul and Peter were eyewitnesses. And these other people, they were eyewitnesses and all. And he says, how do you know that that is the work of Paul? And how do you know that it hasn't been tampered with over the years? And, and then he says to you, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, oh, I agree that Jesus was a good man. And, and, he, and he gave the world a good moral teaching. But I also believe that, that after he died, that uh, those stories of the miraculous and all evolved over a period of years, and really Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wasn't even penned until the second century, and those stories had evolved, and, and people just, every time it was told, it was embellished. And really all he did was cure psychosomatic type ills, and maybe be familiar with a little sorcery of, of that day, and he's talking to a very uneducated and unlearned people, and over the years, they embellished that, and the next thing you know, they've, they've got all of this. And, and that's not unusual, that uh, uh, there have been other situations in the past where after a person died, they embellished and exaggerated things that he did. And so I believe the same thing happened there. You say, well, how do you handle that? Here's a person that believes that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John was written after all of the people were dead that was involved in it. And it's just stories that have been embellished. Alright, that is the situation, this is what we're talking about when we talk about Christian evidences. This is the world that we live in. And that is why some of these people that, have, that are up there in these liberal seminaries and the various colleges and all, and you wonder why they don't believe. They don't believe because of the reasons I've just given you. And they, they've also been taught that Genesis is a myth and that organic evolution is a fact. So consequently, when they listen to you tell them about Jesus, even though they're very sincere, and many of them are, and they're honest, if you cannot handle those arguments that they just presented to you, 
even though they may be emotionally attracted to what you've got to say, their intellect, what you seem to be saying to them, is to become a Christian, you've got to park your brain. I says, now we're not saying that, but I said, that's the way it sounds to them. That, that after all, I says, they don't want to die with no hope any more than you do. But the information they've got in their mind says that they would have to park their brains and be dishonest with the information in order to become a Christian. All right, now, if we are going to to do good for the Lord, we're going to have to do what he commanded us to and say that instead of just having the attitude that, well, I believe and, and, and everything, that that information you have may be fine because of your environment. And, and it'd be just, oh, here's a, a, an illustration you can give them. If, uh, if you come, you can say, if you have grown up with a certain individual over here and you, all your experience with this person is that he's honest and he's fair, and he's good, and he's just, and sincere and all. And then somebody comes along and tells you a lot of negative things about this person that he did. You're not going to just believe that. You're going to say, I won't believe one word of that unless you can prove it, because of my experience with this person. But what happens if you don't know this person, and somebody tells you negative things? You would give more credits to it, and you'd be suspicious of him. I'd say, you people have grown up with Jesus. And you have come to love that personality. And you've seen the beauty of that life. And you have seen people emulate that life and change their own life. And you have seen it work. And so you have this strong love for him. And you have seen the morality of the Bible work in the lives of people and, and all. And you've observed that. And so you've got this real strong affection for the Bible and this love. And says, and also you can tell them this. Says, you've prayed to God and had your prayers answered. And, and, you've, and you have benefited from this spiritual relationship with God. And so you've got all that. So when somebody comes and tells you a lot of negative things, it just infuriates you. The only way you would believe any of that is somebody would have to nail it down and prove it without any doubt. But for this person out here who doesn't have that same familiarity that you have, when somebody tells him those negative things about the Bible, and he's got a doctor's degree, and here you are sitting over here with no doctor's degree saying that that guy with a doctor's degree in history or that guy with a doctor's degree in sociology or a doctor's degree in psychology or the doctor's degree in science that he's wrong and you're right. Now how do you think that sounds to this young person here who's listening to the doctor's degree and listening to you? That's a good example. And so, and so what you've done now, you've given them credit for their faith and made it clear that your faith is based, and you've helped them to, under, and at the same time you're helping them to understand, and say, what, what I'd like to try and convince you to do is that we, not because that, that we have any lack of faith or anything like that, but because of all the lies that have been told about our Lord in His Word, and the misrepresented, mm -hmm. misrepresentation, we're going to have to do the studying that's necessary to even cause these people to open their mind up to the situation itself, and say, now, one form of evidence is your life. In other words, that in this society where all these marriages are winding up in divorces, where they're doing an absolutely pitiful job bringing their children up, and where they have so many relationships that are with hatred and envy, that as we live in this community and have good marriages and bring our children up, and there's a difference between ours and the others, that, is, that doesn't prove the resurrection of Christ, but it proves, hey, this philosophy of life has a lot to say for it. And so what that will do is to cause people to at least want to hear what you've got to say. And that's what the Lord wants it to do, is to cause them to hear what you want to say. But now, once they're listening to you, 
Your good life does not prove the resurrection of Jesus. Just like there are some Muslims that live a very good life. That doesn't prove Muhammad was a prophet. It just proved there's a lot of parts of their law that's right and they're benefiting from it. And so that proves that if you live that good life, you have proven that the philosophy of life that Jesus has is superior to this other. But that doesn't prove he's been raised from the dead. All right, but now we've got to deal with that and say what Christian evidence is is you literally can prove that the Old Testament was completed 400 years before the New Testament and number two, that it's been accurately translated. So that's not a theory. That is a no if, and, or but fact you can prove and all the evidence and the information is there. And you don't even have to handle it right then. Just say it's there. Number two, you can prove that Corinthians and Thessalonians except Galatians, was written by the Apostle Paul. And you can prove it even using secular historians who are not even Christians. And you can prove that it's been accurately transmitted through the years and that you can pick up the New Testament and it is, and, and you can show evidence from the most outstanding Greek scholars in the world that, you can be, that that thing is accurate to the tune of 999 out of every thousand words so far as the way it's been transmitted. Through the, through the years. And you can prove, number three, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can dogmatically, no if, and, or but, prove that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written during the lifetime of the people who were involved in the events and was published as reputable testimony. And then you get a little point of evidence here. You can say that to the people, you can say that the acid test of a historical work. So if you've noticed that people, some, we call some things history, we call some things legend, we call some things tradition, that what history is, history, historical fact, is material that was written and published and circulated during the lifetime of the people who were involved in that and it stood the test. That's what we call history. If it's something that's been handed down orally for a number of years, then it's put down at a time when people are not alive to challenge it and it's circulated. It may be true, but you can't prove it. And so that say that with the Gospels, we actually have the ability, the information is there to be able to prove that it, it was written there. The study of history, the uh, Christian evidences means studying the information that will allow us to prove that all these prophecies were written in advance, they've been carried down, to allow us to prove that the Gospels were written and circulated during the lifetime of the first century, will allow us to use Paul as an eyewitness and as a historical character that even unbelievers. In fact, you can go ahead and end with this. Say, it, in fact, you can actually, and tell them that there is a book out on this, there is a book on the resurrection where the man limits himself to only those facts of history that unbelieving yeah, scholars that. fully recognize, okay, that's good. And says, it doesn't mean that you don't accept all the other evidence, but just to show how strong, he put that book out for one reason, just to show how strong it is that he's trying to say to the unbeliever, here, all I'm going to use is the facts that unbelieving scholars recognize. Only those parts yeah. of the Bible yeah. that unbelieving scholars will recognize as historical fact. And with that, you can deal with the, with the resurrection. And say that just like, when it, we, let's get back to our guy with the doctor's degree. What a lot of these people out here don't realize, because we don't have enough, it's not because the information's not there, 
say that most Christians were brought up in Christianity and they don't realize the plight of the educated unbeliever. Oh, we're reaching unbelievers, okay. We're reaching the uneducated unbeliever. But in our society, the problem is more and more of them are becoming educated. And, and, so, and, and it's the educated unbeliever that we're not reaching because we're not handling his questions. It's not the, an educated person is no more dishonest, he's no more hard-hearted than an uneducated person. But he does have more information in his mind. And if he has had some of the wrong information and all, then that, those questions are, are going to have to be answered. And the sad thing is that the, the information is there. We just need to study it and, and, and to go, and we're not, and make it clear, say, we're not saying that you need more than the Bible to convert somebody. We're not saying that the Bible doesn't contain all religious and spiritual truth. It does. But we're saying you have to be able to prove that the Bible itself was written at certain times, it's been accurately transmitted through the years. And you have to be able to prove that. And God has given us the the intellect and the ability and all that's involved to, to prove that. And then, if you, depending on your time frame and all, there are any number of verses you can go to to show, like, for example, in Acts 28-23, it said, Paul reasoned from morning to night from the law of Moses and the Psalms and the prophets alleging that Jesus was the Christ. It, was a, it wasn't an emotional experience that took place in one hour's time, yeah. but it was an all-day and into-the-evening process. Jesus, in Luke 24 and 25 through 27, he explained to them things concerning himself out of the law of Moses and the Psalms and the prophets. And then, when Matthew writes, this happened to fulfill what the prophet said, what Matthew is doing is using that as evidence. He is challenging his readers to go back and examine the Old Testament and see that that was there. Right. And they knew it, I mean, it was obviously written before their time. Sure, because they had it. All right, and tell them, like, in the first century, they didn't have to prove that because they actually hadn't even been studying it for years. Nobody, in other words, an infidel, a pagan of the first century, a Jew that was never a Christian, nobody would have ever suggested that the old, it, it was there. So you couldn't, you could, but a couple thousand years later, you can make a statement like that if you want to, if somebody can't handle that argument. And the same with uh, the eyewitness material that... Uh, we're a couple thousand years this side, and so we have to be able, they didn't have to prove that it's been accurately transmitted for 2,000 years. But since we have copies of Paul's letters and the Gospels, we've got to be able to prove that we have what was initially written, and that it has been accurately transmitted. And so the interesting thing is that, that you can do this, and you can, you can actually prove it, and that through archaeology that there are any number of the events that happen in the Bible that you can verify through archaeology. So there's even times when miracles took place that although a secular historian may not call it a miracle, he will acknowledge in his history that that particular event took place. For example, and you can go ahead and give him an example, when it turned dark between uh, 12 and 3 o'clock and, and there was pure darkness when they crucified Jesus, so there's actually a secular historian account where you've got a pagan who's not a Christian acknowledging the darkness that came over the land during that period of time. Well, then, hopefully, then i tell you what i do the next thing on that. You, let's say you've got that one by Gary Hibanus on that. Okay, have you got evidence to demands a verdict? 
I've got it. I've loaned it out, but I'm going to get it Sunday. Okay. Uh, do you have any of the others? Like what? On evidences. Um, I've got some other other books. Uh, I don't know okay. What you're talking Mention about. Uh, some of the books. Uh, yeah. Evidence of the man's verdict. Jeff's got the resurrection factor. Right? Resurrection yeah. factor. Yeah. And say that there's a lot out there. Yeah, and mention that these are books and that you think maybe a, a good topic would be uh, the Christian evidences and say, for example, well, just like now on Wednesday night, what I'm doing now, we just finished up the Gospels and we're studying just prophecy. And, and what I'm doing, though, I'm taking every individual, I'm only taking those prophecies that the Jews in their writings acknowledged applied to the Messiah in their commentaries and all. And that everybody acknowledges was written in a particular setting, uh, that they agreed that that setting was speaking to the Messiah, and that's what we're studying on Wednesday night, and we're documenting through the uh, the historical sources and all, and then we're coming to the events over here, and that's the way we're dealing with Christ. But but see, just that study of the prophecies, we'll probably study that for three or four weeks, and then you, the witnesses, are several weeks. Uh, the manuscripts, you can just go on and on, but however far they want to go, but let them know that it, you know, it's definitely something that they need to be aware of. And uh, I think another example that, uh, uh, I'll tell you something happened to one of my brothers one time that I uh, got a call from mom and she was real distraught and, and my youngest brother had started college and, and he was at Western Kentucky and set in on a class on the New Testament. He took it as an elective, the New Testament uh, manuscripts. And the guy had made the statement that there were over 200,000 mistakes in the manuscripts. That just blew his mind. Well, see, what he's saying is true. What, what, what I easily pointed out to him is those 200,000 mistakes are strung out over 24,000 or so manuscripts. And, and they involve little bitty things like uh, the not dotting of an I or crossing of a T or leaving out of a letter. Or, or having a, or, or somebody not copying a particular word in one manuscript, even though it's been copied in a hundred, and that's the, the kind of thing it was. But yet, for the people that sat there and heard that, all they heard was there's 200,000 mistakes in the, in the manuscripts. And say that we've got young people that go to college, and they don't have the ammunition to deal with it, and, and we as adults are not helping them, because we're still looking at the world through the eyes of what it was, we've had a tremendous change in the last 25 years in our society. And, and you're not going to hold on to the young people unless we get busy and, and do some studying in that area and reach others. In fact, the truth is, without evidences, that what I brought out the other night, I said, we're not reaching unbelievers out there in the church as a whole. All we're trying to do, really, is, is hold on to our kids. And that's about all we're doing. That, uh, you, that you're, if we're going to reach people out there, then somebody's going to have to get busy and do some studying. And then I think, too, just like on the study, to point out that, that a lot of times people shy away from it because you're talking about hours of studying. And that's true. The, the hours of study that maybe, as you say, maybe we'll have to watch a little less TV. And, and maybe we'll have to play a little less golf and do a little less of, of whatever that there is hours of study involved in that. And I think that's one of the things that people rebel. It's like an argument I had the other day. They don't want to accept the fact that it takes that much because they know that you're talking about literal hours and hours of studying. And there's no, no question about that. 
I think if I can make this interesting enough and, and uh, bring out enough stuff and, and, and not scare them off, that we can, you know, it, it's probably the, the first chance that I've got to really do anything productive. Oh, yeah, that'd be great. Uh, listen, to, you want, if you give them, the only way you'll scare them off, and I've done this, and that's why I've changed on it, is if you don't give them credit, it's like that, they're, see, they're going to think, well, hey, I never studied all that, and I believe, and, right. and, and they're thinking it, it ought to do the same for them as it does to me, you know, but, so what you're doing is you're giving them credit for their faith, but you're also letting them know that although you never called it evidence, you had evidence, and that and then a lot of things that other people have come in contact with, you, you were fortunate enough to get the positive information here before you ever come in contact with the negative. These people have got the negative before they've got the positive many times. Mm -hmm. But, uh, that, you know, and give them credit for their strong faith and everything like that. And although you won't say this, when you get through the study, they're going to be built up in their faith uh, themselves. It won't be just a matter of reaching the other person. Uh, tell them that, that, you know, make it clear, you, you can literally believe without even the slightest hint of a doubt in your mind. I mean, it's that, if you, so you may already have that kind of faith, but if you don't, you can. That you can believe and know, and, and it's just a real comfortable feeling to live your life in absolute confidence about the resurrection of Jesus and the, the hope of eternal life that you can have in him. Well, that helps me a lot because I, I was thinking all the different things that I could do and say, and, and I just didn't know what would be the best to, to hit yeah. with. You can't, it's in one period, you can't have it. So what you can do is is get them to see the importance of studying it and then, you know, mm -hmm. launch into a study. It's sort of like if you meet somebody out here that's not a Christian, you can't convert him and just talk into him. What you can hopefully do is is create enough interest that he would want to come to a study or want to come to church or something like that. And that's all you can hope to do, you know, in a short period of time. Mm -hmm.